The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I look at the way Kicking celebrate. I look at the way Limerick celebrates a monster, right? To, to go, we actually want to win the next one. You know, or the treatment is just another game, a little step in stone. That's the, that's the question I have. Subscribe to the GA Podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. Now then, welcome back. We're going to talk hurling. So very happy to say Mr. Tommy Welch is with us on the line. Good evening, Tommy. Yeah, good evening, Joe. All-Ireland semi-finals on the horizon. Weekend after this one coming, we will have Clare against Kilkenny on the Saturday, 2nd of July, half past five throw-in. Should be a nice evening in Dublin for those travelling. And then Galway, Limerick, 3rd of July, the next day, Sunday, half past three. So the quarterfinals of the weekend, Semple Stadium. Clare beat Wexford by four points in the end. And then Galway with a one-point win against Cork. You're enjoying the summer, getting some nice weather, Tommy. Good hurling weather out there for you. Yeah, it's lovely. It's earlier in the summer than we're expected. But sure, listen, at least if your team has gone out, you can spend the rest of the summer in the beach down in Tramore or Dummer East or whatever job. So let's start with the weekend's action then on the Saturday. It was a double header at Semple Stadium, 35,000, although it had that odd quality. Sometimes double header matches can, whereby the crowds for Clare Wexford aren't quite in for all of the first game and then quite a few of the Cork fans maybe a bit disappointed decide to hit the road early so maybe it doesn't crackle in the way you would like for either game Yeah and it wasn't what I was expecting Joe I thought we'd have a full house I thought it was kind of like in the soccer of Super Sunday I thought it'd be like Super Saturday below in Turles a cracking atmosphere full house and just four teams there were both 50-50 games or four teams with the, I suppose the dream of making the All-Ireland semi-final and then the All-Ireland final so it didn't quite happen that way and it's, as you said it was actually a full house but it's divided by four mm. and for you know the first game some of the second get teams weren't in on the same for the first game We might start with Clare 124 Wexford 314 then this was interesting. I suppose if it's a sign of a good team that you can win when you're playing badly, then we can apply that to Clare because they weren't themselves. And Lowen admitted as much afterwards. Brian Lowen even said some of our marquee players weren't quite their usual selves. Hard to know why something like that happens, but it did happen to Clare at the weekend. It did, but I would put a lot of it down to the matchups from Darry Egan. Um, he got his matchups absolutely spot on. He had big men on small men, he had fast guys on fast guys. And just looking at some of them, he had Shane Reck on Tony Kelly, Joe. Shane Reck held Tony Kelly to a pint from play last year. He he was out injured for most of this campaign, but he sprung him. He had confidence in him. He had faith in him. He sprung him the time Shane Reck was on the field. He definitely had the measure of Tony Kelly. He just ran with him no matter where he went. Other than that, you had Paddy Foley went out with David Fitzgerald. He David Fitzgerald scoring four or five points from play regularly throughout the months around Robin campaign he didn't get a snuff and he was taken off marking Paddy Foley big strong uh, probably 6 foot 2 6 foot 3 defender he went out and David Fitz other than that Jenny had Damien Reck on Shane O'Donnell he did well in him a match on, on, on Peter Duggan and I thought the, 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 the I suppose the great positive for him is he probably John Connor DeVitt out in Ryan Taylor a corner back out following the guy out around midfield and I thought he had a, an absolutely exceptional day for Wexford so I thought the reason Clare didn't play, obviously there was a hangover, a small hangover from the Munster final, but Darry Egan got his matchup spot on for that game. Has Egan impressed you this season? Yeah, well, I like Darry Egan um, a good couple of times, and um, he does 
powerful work down in down in his club down in in, in North Tipperary down near Pocan and um, you know they have a great underage setup down there Kildangan they were in the county finals last two so Darry impresses me all the time from the work that he puts in at club level and he's transferring that now to his time with Liam Sheedy and now out on his own like they had a fabulous league campaign up until the league semi-final and then after a tough start to Leinster round Robin they have resurrected, which showed he has guts, he has spirit, and he's not afraid to make the big calls. Mm. So how do Wexford then look back on 2022 season? Where are they in the reckoning? I think they'll be very disappointed, Joe. Um, like 2019, if that they won the all Ireland semi-final against Tipperary, they had Kilkenny in the final. They would always fancy their chances against Kilkenny. Again, this year, if they had to be clear, they would have Kilkenny in a semi-final with a chance to get into the final. I definitely think it was a, a great chance that they had. They were six points up with probably 11 minutes to go. Now, adding the injury time, there was still a lot of time left, but it probably all hinged on the chances. I suppose Lee Chin's penalty, was it or was it not? And then the goal, if Mark Fanning had to keep that in his hand. And we've seen, you know, goalkeeping errors all day. And if a midfielder does that out the field, nobody bats an eyelid. Mm. Unfortunately, if a goalie drops the ball, it can have tough, you know, big effects on your team. So I think massive chance for Wexford this year, like 2019, I think they would be disappointed. And you referred to it there, Lee Chin, he was brought down by Keen Nolan in on goal. Penalty and black card was the most extreme option for the referee. What was your reading it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I didn't realise that rule was still being applied, Joe. I haven't seen it in so long. Mm. Um like uh, they were talking in the Sunday game last night about an imaginary line that you have to ref has to imagine um, a twenty you know an imaginary twenty five meter line in from the the sideline like unless Batman or Superman is going to come back and start refereeing games like I think we may forget about that anyway um, I think the if they want to apply that rule and it is probably a good rule they, to stop people just dragging down a guy and receive very little punishment I think they'll just have to. Actually, as as they said last night, just the groundsman left to go in and put in the line. We have a good lad in Tullerone, Tom Clear, who's a great man to line the pitch three and four times a week. So, Crow Park are looking for anyone there for other semi finals. Hmm. I'm sure we'll give Tom a lift up there and he'll do it. No problem. Free of charge, even. On uh, Claire's point, then, so they're uh, dicing with death a little bit, and there's a period over 13 minutes where Wexford go from two points down to six points ahead, and there's an hour on the clock. Now, that is where Claire are going to start feeling a little bit edgy and in fairness to them they replied brilliantly with 1-6 certain players stood up Shane O'Donnell was to the fore even when other marquee names weren't having their best day and you would have to look at the Clare bench and say it more than played its part you have Shanahan coming on you have Meehan coming on they managed 1-4 between them and then even Mark Rogers made an impact so again if you're uh, following that maxim of takes a good team to win whilst playing badly also having that strength and depth and that strength and depth delivering when it was required these are good omens as they head into a semi-final if not you know something they can get too excited about uh, based on the performance as a whole yeah and I think um, you're 100% there and I think Brian Lowen deserves huge credit Joe um, he was ruthless with his decisions last weekend um, Rory Hayes you know he's marking Flanagan the last day and in, in the Munster final he had a great game but then Seamus Flanagan scored you know seven or eight points and then there was the saga of being suspended or will he be back for the game he made it back he lasted seven minutes and had him taken off Lee Chin won the first two balls off him and he made kind of a little fumble as well seven minutes you'll never hear of that uh, in, in really in, in inter-county or the club game I thought it was 
you know, if that was Brian Lowe thinking of player, thinking of the team, not thinking of individuals. His loyalty is to the team. And he took him off. And then he brought on as you and young uh, Keynote. He had a serious game when he came on. And then on the other side, then Aaron Shanahan scored one, two when he came on. Shane Mean scored two points. And as you said there, when they came on, it kind of had a domino effect. Not only not only did they play well, but Tony Kelly came into the game then. Shane O'Donnell came into the game. So it just had a domino effect on the whole game. I think Brian Lawn deserves huge credit for them decisions. But Shannon, where was Shannon all, all year, Joe? I was asking these questions. Like, this man was one of their main players for the last few years. I couldn't understand why he wasn't, you know, coming in or even starting. I know he came on in one of the games in, in the round robin series, but I hadn't seen him up to that and didn't see him afterward. So listen, that just goes to show maybe he's just he wasn't right and he wasn't fit maybe, or but he's definitely after coming back at the real right time. And you know, uh, Brian Lone will be absolutely delighted with him. Yes, absolutely. A bit of a collector's item to see so many wides from Tony Kelly. Yeah, and that's the sign of a, a good team as well. No excuses. Um, you know, they're not going to blame anyone. You just get on with it. Tony Kelly could have been taken off at half time, taken off after 40 minutes. But no, they know these great players. It might be in the last 10 minutes when they, you know, come to the to the fore. And that's what Tony Kelly did. Now, you see, the other side of it as well is when you miss freeze now, a free taker used to only come out as far as about 55 yards, Joe. Now they're going back as far as 85, 90, 100 yards to take these frees. Mm. So... A, a, a free from 85, 90 yards, that's only ever probably a 40, 60 chance. But statistically then, you're missing frees. You're, it goes down as a missed free against your name. So that has to be taken into account also. It's different when you're missing them from 55 and in. Then I chalk them down as, yeah, missed frees. But anywhere outside of that, I would see him from 65 on, either a 50-50 or even a 40-60 chance. But listen, great credit goes to Tony Kelly. They went over to Peter Duggan. Peter Duggan missed the first one as well. But he stayed going and they eventually, listen, I thought down that home stretch as well, Peter Duggan won an awful lot of the aerial ball. And he can talk about systems and tactics. That's a, a part of the game. And as I always say, the major part of this game is still being able to win your own ball. And Peter Duggan did that in buckets down the last stretch. It's going to be a fun Saturday evening, Saturday week, 2nd of July, half past five throw in Clare against Kilkenny. Brian Cody, you suspect, was a, a very... Um, astute observer of what Dara Egan tried to do to Clare on Saturday. Where will Kilkenny go after Clare? Yeah, well, first of all, I'd say tactics could go out the window in this semi-final. Um, like, you know, there was a huge build-up and a huge media attention around Henry Shefflin versus Brian Cody. I would see even more of a, a attention around Brian Lowen versus Brian Cody. I think they're two similar type characters. They, they kind of rule that sideline they give very little away emotionally rather than driving on their team. Both of them have huge respect, huge authority. They're silent, quiet type of guys, but with tough um, personalities. Everyone, kind of, even when you just meet them, you kind of uh, respect them and look up to them. So I think the battle really will be, i say the physicality sticks really. Tactics go out the window on this semi-final. And tell me this, if they're similar personalities, who will initiate the handshake? Maybe neither will. There could be a standoff. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're not talking about handshakes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say what Darry Egan, what Brian Cody has been brilliant on through all the years is his matchups as well. Yeah. So he might copy Darry Egan on that. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, when you say tactics go out the window, of course they won't, or maybe they will once the ball is thrown in. But in advance, there'll be a lot of planning, a lot of thinking, a lot of matchups. So, for instance, who looks after Tony Kenny for Kilkenny? Tony Kelly, sure. Who's been doing the man marking all year is probably Mikey Butler. So. 
you know, and he's been doing that quite well. But and how do they match up in your eye, Tommy? Yeah, listen, I think with Tony Kelly, he receives a lot of ball off the shoulder when he's out the field. So when he's inside, it's kind of just man on man, like the old way. You just have to be out in front of him. You have to be able to win the ball when it comes in. Watch it when he, when he's spinning around. But it's out the field is where he's he's lethal, and that he's 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 might be jogging around, but next minute a burst of pace, he's gone. Gets five or six yards, yeah, five or six yards on his his defender, and next minute he's in space and it's over the bar. So I think the key thing is when you're marking him out the field, is stick tight to him. And as Christy Ring said, even when the ball is in the referee's pocket. That's the key to Martin Tony Kelly. Mm. And it's easier said than done. He's always on the move. He's very fit. He stays patient. That's going to be an unbelievable tussle to watch and especially Crow Park where there is just that extra feeling of space. Yeah, and it's confidence, Joe, and experience of the big day. When you're, if you have no confidence and you're being marked out of the game for 50-55 games, 50, 55 minutes. Suddenly your substitute comes up on the, on the, on the board. The, the third official puts it up. You're looking over. Is that my number? No, it's not. Yes, it is. You're relieved if it's not. Waiting for another five minutes, hoping to get a score. If, if it is, you're disappointed. You're gone off. Tony Kelly doesn't have that worry because he has proven. And this is where it comes down to proving it. You have to prove it on the field of play. He has proved it in the past now that he can be marked out for 55 minutes, Mm. but you have to mark him for 70. And he showed it. It was Damien Reck was giving him a a great matchup, I thought, the weekend. But he stayed going and stayed going. And there was a rumour that he was injured coming into that game as well, Tony Kelly. And I was watching him in the warm-up. He didn't partake in the little, small, mini-side games. So possibly he is carrying injury on top of all that. And um, what well, comes down to, I think, experience. If that was another forward breaking onto the team, Joe, he's gone after 55 minutes. He didn't produce it. But because Tony has done it in the past, you know, they'll have confidence by knowing. And I don't know, did you see the, the camera angle where it showed? Remember when Tony Kelly caught the ball on the ground mm. and went over and put the ball over the bar? Brian Lowe's face was nearly in awe <laughs> as he was doing it. They, they caught it lovely on the RT cameras. And it was he was nearly saying to himself, wow, did I just see that? And, like we all were. Mm. It was a, a magical score. So That's my boy. No, that that's, why, that's why he stays on no matter how it's going. And on paper for you, Claire and Kilkenny, who has the better set of hurlers? I, I, I'm saying it all year. Limerick are out, the out-and-out team. They're, you know, 10 or 15% above everybody else. Talent-wise, physicality, they have the size, you know, five or six lads over six foot four, six foot five. But everybody else is a level playing field. We saw that the weekend. Wexford could have been Claire. Cork could have been Galway. Um, it'll be the same Kilkenny and Clare it's a 50-50 one I don't think the Kilkenny team gets enough credit yes they get credit for their physicality their determination their will to go to the to the very end never being beaten but I've been watching these as a club they're fabulous hurlers on that Kilkenny team and that's a very very good Kilkenny team why do, you, I, I, why do you think people have that perception of them then? because they're coming from the great team of the past you yeah. know and it's like any team the Dublin team football team at the moment like you tell me if Conor Callan and all these lads, Dean Rock and uh, all them Dublin footballers were on the, say, a Kerry team or a me team, sure, they'd probably be the favourites to win the All-Ireland. But because they're coming after that great Dublin football team, you know, they're probably not. So what do you think Clare and Kilkenny will come down to then if you're saying maybe tactics could go out the window and maybe it takes on a life of its own? I think Munster final. I think, I think that's where we're heading for with this game. Um, I think it'll very much be man up. They'll probably both play with two lads inside, and everyone else will be following each other out the field. We'll have, I wouldn't think we'll have a D.O. Keith type scenario where he's 
you know, hanging out in the back line as a spare man all the time, which obviously leaves a spare clear guy as well. I think Kilkenny, like the Clare and Limerick Munster final, they will just go hammering tongs. And I think Brian Lowen and Brian Cody, they're so headstrong, they'll say, you know what, let's take them on. Neither of them will expect, I'd say, a rabbit out of the hat from the opposition management team. Hmm. So I think they'll both expect that we'll take each other on, like the old boxers, Muhammad Ali and that. We'll go, Rocky Balboa, let's go at it, and best man wins. And I think that's what'll happen, like the Munster final. Galway 219, Cork 121. So one point win for Galway. You can take different metrics, but certainly give or take a point or two, there is a sense that Cork left about 3.11 potentially behind them in the first half alone. Kieran Kingston bemoaning just how wasteful they were in this game. And if people didn't catch it, there was always that bubble. Galway always just with their noses in front and Cork never quite pierce it. So uh, it's hard to know how Cork are to feel about 2022. On the one hand, early on in the Munster and Robin they looked completely open at the back we discussed it several times they looked bereft of ideas as to how to fix it they looked like they were going to exit early and yet in the end they managed to scuttle their way through and they only lose a quarter final by a point so that that puts more of an acceptable sheen on it but I suppose big picture if you're talking about All-Ireland finalists last year it certainly doesn't feel like they're moving forward yeah and like Anyone that asked me before the game last weekend is, what do Cork have to do to win this game? Sort out their defence. Uh, and that means from number 15, get in the hooks, get in the blocks, chase them when you don't think you, you, you can get back. They did all that the weekend. Galway only scored two, uh, 219. Like one of the goals is very, you know, lucky. It was a long ball from, from young Grealish. So really 119 in the modern game, that is fair going for any team defensively. The problem with them was, and this hasn't happened in in my, you know, memory is they're just totally, you know, missed chances, point chances, goal chances, freeze, 65, long range freeze, a whole host of different free takers. They hit the post twice. So it was just in front of goal is where they just totally ran out of luck. So I think they'll be, I suppose, encouraged by the fact that defensively they got it right. But unfortunately, in a game of hurling, you have to get both of them right on the same day. Hard to put your finger on why they have a day like that. Yeah, because the goal chances, I felt, they were real good goal chances. And it probably comes down to confidence. I think Henry noted in his his conference interview after it that all the teams are probably at that stage are probably a little bit shy on confidence. Two of them are after losing a a, a Munster and a Leinster final and two of them are coming from the third place team. So all very shy in confidence. And if you take them, if the Cork boys had to brought them in an extra two or three yards, it was a hand pass over to the other guy into the back of the net or even for the first chance for Alan Conley. Dahi Burke was after slipping. Took it on another two or three yards. Ball placed it into the back of the net. So I think probably confidence maybe more than that and could have, you know, uh, been their downfall in front of goal. Like Conor Lahan, you know, he's only back from last year. He was dropped last year, back on the on the team. He and you know, he's you know, he's, he's at the I suppose the end of his career really at his age. And when he missed a couple of frees, it probably wasn't good for him either. So and then Mark Coleman went on the frees, he missed a couple and it was just all over the field they seemed to be missing chances. It wasn't just down to one individual. But um, I think Cork will be very disappointed, though, with this, that they want to go far. They want to be contesting for All-Ireland Finals like they were last year. And I think that will be the barometer that they judge themselves on. Mm. Did your confidence fluctuate much? Ah, sure. It's like every player. Like, you know, I was lucky enough when we were winning. So, you know, you might be playing particularly well, but your team was going well, you know. So 
have to say I was very lucky that way. Like it to be very much a different scenario if you be you're on a poorer team, you're not going well, the team is not going well, suddenly you're being highlighted. Like, you know, and when you're going well and winning as a team and you're not play, playing particularly well, suddenly you come into it in the last 15 minutes, everybody tells you you had a great game. So I don't think there's that much difference mm-hmm. in players' mentalities at the end of the day. And if you were going through a period where you weren't playing so well, what was your go-to way to try and play your way out of that? Well, training every day, like back to basics. I'd be like a savage uh, diet and all that. We'll go out the window, have no concentration on gym, no concentration on either training that would be my whole focus from say if we were training on Thursday I'd be like a savage for two or three days <laughs> like, or, a, you know, like a savage what does like a savage mean just thinking about it getting yourself psyched up for three days out you can just feel it in your belly Joe it's hard to describe it just grows inside you know but like you're thinking of the player like you're marking two teacher reading train no one larking that's all you're thinking about, how you want to catch the ball over him, how you want to get in front of him, maybe hold on to him, get in a block or a diving block. Just anting really, you know. But, you know, that's... But listen, when you're playing against great players in training, it's probably that bit easier too. Yes, yes. But back to basics, that was your route out of a slump. Back to basics. And you see, it all comes from your... As a young fella, what you learn and, and who your idols are. And Willie O'Connor was a great Kenny man. He told Bill Hensey, a club man of mine, like he said, he'd rather be hungry than fit. He'd rather, he'd rather be fresh than fit. Yeah. And listen, ideally, you want to be both, Joe. But I think, you know. And would it strike you that it's more difficult for a forward to rediscover their confidence than a, a defender who can maybe, it's a bit easier to go back to basics almost as a defender as opposed to a, a finesse forward in some respects? I'd say probably a bit more difficult for an inside forward mm. because you're totally waiting on, you might only get three or four balls. Like when I was inside in the full forward line with, with Tolleron, I used to just be telling the other lads, listen, be patient. We'll only get four balls uh, in, in the next half an hour. It doesn't matter how well you're hurling. At least then it kind of built up their mentality that, oh, listen, I'm not going to get worried if a ball comes in and another one doesn't come in for 20 minutes. Towards out the game, I would say no. Shane O'Donnell has proven that. Shane O'Donnell was out, out of the game last weekend, but he was going around blocking hook and putting his body in. This is a lad coming back from concussion. A lad that was out for eight or nine months. He's putting his body on the line. I think when you're in the half hour line, mid, anywhere, I suppose, other than the full line, you can go where you want to get yourself into the game. So I would say no, for a half hour, definitely very, very easy. For a full forward, you have to be patient on. You have to be really, really patient. But when it does come in, you have to be, you know, you have to be, as I said a few minutes ago, you have to be like a savage not to let the ball back out. Well, the Cork forwards have about seven months to stew on that defeat at the weekend now, which is no fun, I'm sure. As for Galway, I've asked you this question at a few different points across the course of the season and we've we've more and more games to talk about now and you've seen them more often. What would you say Shefflin has done with this Galway team as opposed to what you saw from Galway in previous years? Yeah, I, I think last weekend backs up in my mind what Henry Shefflin has done for them is that consistent work rate I didn't buy into the arguments around their, their performance against Kilkenny in the Leinster final where people said that they never showed up I thought they showed up physically they fo- showed up with spirit with heart but they just couldn't get going on the scoreboard they missed goal chances three or four goal chances they missed other point scoring opportunities as well what Henry Shefflin has done is what Brian Lohan has done with Clare is what, Henry, or is what Brian Cody has done with Kilkenny even when they're not going well, they're in the game. There's a standard there about their work rate. And that's where, like, you know, at the weekend, they stayed in the game. A lot of their players still didn't play well. 
they still got over the line. So Henry Sheffield has brought to Galway is that they, they're one last weekend playing poorly. Mm. And who stepped up for him? We were wondering who'd step up for him. Cottle Mannion. He didn't play well in the Leinster final. He had a great game the weekend, scored four points from play. Connor Whelan missed them goal chances in the Leinster final. He scored them uh, at the weekend. A half chance really again, bounced it into the corner of the net. And I thought, above all, I thought the reintroduction of David Burke. He's an absolute immense player. Uh, as I said on the Sunday show, he was he had 19 possessions in the All Ireland final 2017. He was the captain. He is their leader. He scored four points from play, three turnovers. Him back into the game brought Bears know the leader to, to, to Galway. He scored two points as well. And sorry, just before you, you, you say that, Joe, is when Kingston got the goal, Connor Whelan caught the, the next ball and hand passed it to Bork and he put it over the bar. That's leadership. And so with Limerick in mind on Sunday, 3rd of July, if somebody out the field keeps a close eye on Colin Mannion and somebody inside does a job on Connor Whelan, who scores heavily for Galway? I think Limerick go through to the Allard and final. Yeah, that's the worry for Galway. Very reliant on those two. Absolutely. Um, now they have other guys that can score, like Tom Cannon can score, Nyland can score, Tom Monan, Ronan Glenn, and these guys can score points that maybe if there is a huge focus on them other players, they can come in. Uh, and score but listen trying team to win in All-Ireland your main players have to step up so if Galway want to win in All-Ireland then players have to step up against Limerick and that's it Dahi Burke is doing it Parag Mannion was brilliant again the weekend and the goal in, in a Murphy goalkeepers often maybe don't get the credit they deserve we see when they make the mistakes he made serious saves at the weekend so he deserves huge credit but no for, for them to beat Limerick the week, in two weeks time Joe the big players have to play well Um what I would say the chance I would give him is I think Limerick will be overwhelming half favourites mm. but the chance I would give Galway is people will write them off so much coming into the semi-final you'll always have a chance mm. well if you're saying you think Limerick are 10-15% better than the rest then you'll be amongst those pretty much writing off Galway by the sounds of things very hard to see them do it yeah um, I think Limerick will win it except for that what I just that point I pointed out it's sometimes when you're such overwhelming half favourites that when another team comes and they just hit one of those days they can catch you Wexford nearly did that to clear the weekend only for they were mentally able for they were tough they were they were ready and they got a bit of luck I have to say you need a bit of luck as well Clare got a bit of luck the weekend with the, probably the penalty call and the ball that that, that, that dropped out Aaron Chanahar so Clare got that luck but you have to be ready to take the opportunity when it does Speaking of Limerick, uh, later on with Garoge Hegarty on the show, I spoke to him before coming on air. Really impressive fella. Uh, talks about a whole range of things, everything from uh, LGBTQ plus uh, players in a dressing room right the way through to his own hurling game and everything in between. And he's a teacher and he's enjoying his summer off and he's just a phenomenal player, as we know, 2020 Hurler of the Year. I was saying to him, I feel sorry for whatever halfback he jogs over to every game because bloody hell, he is a handful. How would you stop a Hegarty? He has everything. Yeah, he did. You see, it's much more difficult now to mark the, the half forwards if they're give, being given the ball. Um, you know, because they only now have to be two or three yards in front of you and they're given the ball. The size of Hegarty, you can't get around him without fouling him. And then off he goes. And then he has the, you know, the elegance of a, as I said before, a five foot nine, a five foot ten small corner forward. So really unmarkable. But it, it goes to the the old saying is, how good will he be if he doesn't get the ball? 
And that's the key. Mm. Don't let them get the ball. So like when you're marking Tony Kelly, like when you're marking Kyle Mannion, these guys, you need a runner with him, first of all, that will go and go to the far corner of Crow Park if you have that. And then when the ball is passed to him, you're ready to go out in front and win that ball. I think that's the only way, as I easier said than done. Like you have to have pace, you have to have power. And you have to be able to hurl. You have to have a good head. The way the game has gone as well, though, uh, short passing and passes being picked from 20, 30 yards. This isn't where you have, you know, a ball travelling 40 metres in the air and I can nip in ahead of him. I've a bit of time to react. You've no time to react here. I don't know how you get ahead of him from that kind of range, 20 metres out, fizzed into him. Well, it is very rare, though. A halfback will pass him the ball or pass a half hour the ball if you're up beside him okay so that's the key it's that you're cutting off the perception to the wing back on that's passing him the ball that there is time to give this guy I ball. understand you're the deterrent exactly yeah and that's what happened I seen it first hand the weekend with Tony Kelly there was a lot of times where he made the runs he always makes in the first 50 minutes but because Shane Reck was beside him he wasn't being hand passed the ball towards he become if, he, if even for a sideline cut Joe if you're not focused, if you're not up to the speed of it for anything, as Christy Ring said, when the ball is in the referee's pocket, you will be picked. Yeah. And Tony Kelly or Garrod Hegarty or Tom Marcy will be gone. You have to be beside him for 70. That's two Christy Ring quotes in this conversation. How many Christy Ring quotes do you have? <laughs> How long do you have? <laughs> The Bible according to Christie. That's the conversation for some evening. So would it, how, in terms of deciding who marks who, would it be just not a done thing? Would it be madness for you, even if you're, say you're at the peak of your powers and you've never felt better, and Cody's half thinking, geez, maybe you could do a job for me on Hegarty. Would that be just off the table because of size difference? Yeah, well, I would never have been put on any of them. I was never a man marker. So if you're looking for a man marker, I wouldn't have been put on any of them. But yeah. like, JJ and Jackie were immense at, at, at man marking. Um, exceptional players. JJ had just the style, he had the speed, he had the skill, high, low, he could get back. He just had the, the techniques, technically, he was just unbelievable, you know. And then Jackie was just, he just bully you. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, two different guys. They were sent man marking, you know, if, if a job had to be done. And mm. uh, more often than not, they would do it very, very well. Yeah, well, we'll hear from Grow Jaggerty later on. Definitely not an, uh, more than a handful, I think, for most these days. And before we go, I'm, I know you mentioned it over the weekend, but I suppose it's worth reiterating the point. It would be remiss of us in hurling slot uh, not to offer condolences to family and friends of Damien Casey of Tyrone, one of the very best hurlers it seems to ever come out of the county, just 29 years of age. He was a groomsman at a wedding in Spain and there was a swimming pool incident. And I would think it's hard for all concerned to in any way come close to accepting it. He's passed away. It's just a shocking story. Dreadful. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's tough in, in any walk of life. And, you know, as uh, as the word is coming out, I just, you know, an inspiration to all around Tyrone and the amount of consecutive games he's played in, the amount of consecutive games he's scored in. Uh, always shows up and that's a true mark of consistency of his character uh, very much you know as against his style or his skill levels his heart his character that's what's so important in the GA the clubs in the county and he showed that for so long and it's absolutely devastating for everybody because the GA and the hurling especially is a kind of a close knit family mm-hmm. who whether you're from you know Tyrone or Tullerone or Kilkenny or Cork like when you come together you're together you know and 
to absolutely pass on our condolences to, to anyone, um, both family and, and club members. Tommy, we'll let you go. It was a pleasure. Tommy Welch, thank you. Thanks a million, Joe. Bye-bye.